AM WWDB Radio here in Philadelphia. It's a big day, opening debut for Project Chaos. I can't tell you how excited I am to be here. Since I was 10 years old, I was listening to this radio station. It's a true story. I'm a, hopefully, if we get time, I'll tell that a little bit more. But I, as I was teeing this up today, I was thinking a little bit about it. I thought, man, maybe there's some 10-year-old kid today listening. He's listening to this voice come across the microphone, mystified the way that I was listening to Irv, Irv Homer and Bernie McCain and names like that back in the day. We'll talk more about that if we get to it. Welcome to Project Chaos. I'm Chris Kunkel. I'm a Marine veteran. I'm an author. I have a new book coming out March, maybe sooner. I don't know. Things are. I mean, it's actually on track. It wasn't on track for the for the first three times I said it would be out, but it's on track now, and it's going to be coming. All the edits are done. I'm working with the uh, with the uh, the uh, the publisher. And, and getting it ready to bring bring to the public. Author of the new book, Victory Over Chaos. I hope you'll check it out, projectchaos.org. We'll talk more about that as well. I want to begin today with a little story. Who doesn't like a little story? Everybody likes stories. How about a war story? Why is this story important? I'll tell you that as well. It's probably a story that you never heard of. Not many people have. If you have, you probably heard and heard, haven't heard the true story. But this story is the story of the book, Victory Over Chaos, the U.S. Marines' Battle at Kafji. I want to tell you a little bit about that battle at Kafji today. It it will lay the foundation for everything that we're going to discuss on this radio show. I joined the Marine Corps when I was 17. I was stationed in Hawaii. Can you believe that? Just like Elvis. Having a grand old time. We had deployed to Okinawa, gotten back just a few days, getting ready for some fun in the sun, and boom, we get the call. The unit's going to deploy. We were back just four days. We've been home from Okinawa for just four days, thinking we're getting ready for, for some nice time on the beach in Waikiki, back in America. Four days later, the battery gunny gets in front of the formation. He says, not so fast, gentlemen. Go get your gear, and you're getting ready to get on a plane and get out of here. And we didn't even really know where we were going at that point, but we did. We deployed as part of the, uh, uh, Desert Storm, the first Gulf War. We went out to start. When I first got there to the port of Al-Jubar, Al-Jubar, Al-Jubar wherever you say that, uh, I was part of the first 100 Marines on the ground there. Really, wasn't really sure what to expect. Never envisioned myself being tied up in something like that. Not when I joined, not when I landed in Hawaii. I wasn't expecting any of it. Never, who does, really, I guess, unless the war is going on when you enlist or something. I enlist during peacetime. Never expected to end up in something like that. So I get told to pack my gear. We go out there. We're out in the middle of the desert. Nothing's gone. Many months of boredom really waiting. We deployed. Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. The Marines deployed. We were part of the first 100 Marines on the ground there. There was some Patriot missile batteries. That was about it. And essentially, we were there to act as a speed bump uh, in case Saddam Hussein decided to invade Saudi Arabia. Well, I knew none of this at the time. I was barely 19 years old and just went where I was told to go. Well, there we were, out in the middle of the desert. We waited out there for months. Lots of shenanigans, lots of different things going on, training, working out, and waiting. And waiting and waiting and waiting. 
Christmas came, the holidays came. That wasn't real fun. We're away from our families out in the middle of the desert, hanging out with our buddies, having a good old time, but not like holidays back home, that's for sure. And I guess it was around Christmas was the last of the quiet time that we got to see. Right around the beginning of the new year is when the air campaign began. That's what everybody was seeing on TV, the air campaign from the first Gulf War. That's what most people remember from that war was the air campaign. Well, we were listening to this air campaign on BBC radio. It was quite amazing because every night, just about, we were getting shelled by Iraqi artillery. They kept saying the ground war hadn't begun. We're taking incoming from the uh, Iraqi artillery. We're firing raid missions up on the border, but the news is reporting that there's no ground war. This went on for about four weeks, and Iraq had mobilized a huge force on the other side of the Kuwait border. All total, eight Iraqi divisions, mostly Republican Guard, many armored divisions. I mean, they had tanks, armored personnel carriers. And so the month of January, that's what, that was kind of the scene for us, if you will. Oil well fires in the background, massive air campaign going on. And then we're getting hit at night by this long-range Iraqi artillery. Luckily, they couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. But every night we'd have this coming in and, and digging foxholes, moving around and, and living like that. Well, then January 29th. Very dark out. I remember it well. There was no moonlight, which was probably strategic to that decision. For the Iraqis' part, leading up to that four weeks, they had been taking a beating. All those eight Iraqi divisions that were on the other side of the border, the air Allied air campaign was just lighting them up. Uh, it was just there's volumes of photographs showing the highway to death. Maybe people remember that huge Iraqi assets taking out by air power. Well. That wasn't all complete by the end of January, but certainly the Iraqis were taking a beating. Well, for whatever reason, Iraq decided that they were going to attack the city of Kafji inside Saudi Arabia. This was at early in the evening on January 29th, 1991, just after it had gotten completely dark. And, you know, after all those weeks of shelling and uh, dealing with the, the surprise of what we dealt with and staying in the desert for all those weeks... Um, the oil well fires being lit, the campaign beginning. But this evening, it was relatively quiet, if you will, all that considered. Quiet evening on the coastal front, I guess you could say. It was just dark. The oil well fires were burning, but the way the direction of the wind, it was just black smoke, all just dark. And relatively peaceful, if you will, but that, that peace didn't last too long. When we were stationed there. I suppose because we were the first, one of the first units to deploy over there, we were in what was called the coastal sector along the Persian Gulf, and we were there to provide fire support for the Arab forces, mostly the, the Saudi uh, Arabia army there. If you don't know where any of this is located, it's in the Middle East. Everybody knows where the Middle East is, right? It's where you hear of all the uh, anger and hostility going on around the world. Well, in that coastal sector there, we were position with the Arab forces, not not a lot of Marines there. And we're just there uh, to support those Arab forces with artillery fire support if they needed it. There were also Marines that were stationed on ships in the Persian Gulf, a MU, Marine Expeditionary Unit. And they were there to provide a beach landing if needed. And we were also there to provide fire support for them if needed. 
Now, like I said, Iraq had moved all these uh, massive amount of hardware along the uh, into Kuwait, along the border of Saudi Arabia. It was just a few miles away from us. They've been getting pounded by those airstrikes. And so, at least in part, for those reasons, Iraq, I guess in a strategic act of desperation, decided to attack what they thought was a weak point in the front, and that being the Arab sectors, the Arab sector where we were located. Iraq was gambling that that there would be uh, the Arab forces there would not be willing to fight another Arab army. Well, they were right about that. The Iraqis were right about that part, but they missed the point. The Iraqis were hoping that they would come out of this battle, this skirmish, whatever you want to call it. They were hoping what? They wanted heads. They wanted POWs. They wanted dead Americans. That would have been a big prize for them. You know, the American media was just talking about air campaign up until that point. And if Iraq could have been the first ones to produce, you know, POWs or, or uh, ground combat deaths, it would have been huge, huge for Iraq. Well, they were right about it being the weak center. You know why? Because the Saudis, they turned and they ran. I was overlooking uh, the highway leading to Kafchi the night that the Iraqis attacked. I was on guard post. Seems like all I did while I was deployed Guard duty, guard duty, guard duty. I, I kind of liked it in a way. Um, but anyway, for whatever reason, I was always on guard duty, and this night would be the same. Just out there watching, protecting that flank of our unit's position. And I happened to be overlooking the highway that leads directly into Kafchi. I could see the, I wouldn't call it the skyline in the background, because if you know anything about the city of Kafchi, it's not really much of a city that produces skyline. But I could see where it was. Almost looked like more like an airfield to me. That night, what happened was otherwise quiet, relatively dark. You'd hear a couple planes passing. All of a sudden, that shifted. This huge convoy coming out of Kafchi, which all indications were that it was the Iraqis going south. The winds shifted. The orange glow from the oil well fires opened up. And all of a sudden, an air campaign like you can't imagine opened up. The A-10 warthogs at low altitude, picking off targets left and right, Apaches, Cobras. It was like Armageddon, literally the sky just glowing orange from all the activity and the burning of the oil well fires. It just seemed like we were at the gates of hell. That large convoy that we saw coming out of Kafchi, well, it wasn't the Iraqis at all. It was the Saudis that turned and ran. What did that mean for us? Well, there we were on our own. Well, what did we do? Well, we were Marines. We moved up closer to the city, of course. That battle of Kafchi lasted two days. And I'll tell you, the first night was pretty doggone tense. After the Iraqis rolled in, like I said, we were getting intelligence over the radio that they were going to keep going. Everybody expected that uh, this was going to be the, uh, the big Iraqi offensive movement. All indications that that was the case. At one point, we were told that we to lower the tubes on the cannons and prepare for direct fire. Now, if anybody knows what that means, I'm sure very few people do, but artillery is designed for long-range fire. Eight-mile range on artillery fire is pretty short range, really. When we lower the tubes for direct fire, what does that mean? 
It means that we're going to have an enemy target on top of us, 1,000 meters, 2,000 meters, tight, very close. That was the expectation that they were coming, that they were on their way. Well, we didn't turn and run like the Saudis did. Many more Iraqis than there were us. This giant convoy coming, what do we do? Dig in and lower the tubes. That's what we did. Well, it didn't happen. The movement south was the Saudis, not the Iraqis. The other problem that was created by this uh, untimely departure of the Saudis, besides leaving us there to fend for ourselves, is that there was two Marine teams trapped inside the city. And these uh, Marine teams are what we might call spotter teams, forward observers, reconnaissance teams. And for many years, I was led to believe that they got trapped inside the city. You don't want to know the truth of the matter? They stayed. They stayed. The Saudis, that they were there to support, turned and ran. But those Marines that were there inside the city, they wouldn't leave. It's, I don't even think it was in their comprehension. It's just not the way that, that Marines think. Well, it got so intense inside the city. The Iraqis, all of the, the Iraqi equipment that was outside of the city was taken out by air power. The air power was so effective. Not much move that didn't get taken out. But inside the city... It was a different story. The Iraqis had moved so much assets into the city that they occupied nearly every, every block. And this was a real problem for the teams. It got so intense that one of the teams got trapped up on a rooftop. The building surrounded with the Iraqis in the stairwell. Just imagine yourself in this position for a second. We were a couple miles away by this time six, eight miles away. The units that they were there to support were gone. It wasn't much they could do for air support. And you got, I don't know how many guys were on that roof, six, eight, ten, whatever the case might be. So just imagine yourself in that situation. You've got a rifle, a radio, and the Iraqis are in the stairwell with the building surrounded. There's a video of this. You don't have to take my word for it. I wasn't on the rooftop. I just told you I was on on guard duty. But there's a video called The Battle of Kafchi, 1991. It's an interview with Corporal Ingram. Uh, I knew Corporal Ingram not well. I know his face. I don't know if he was with Charlie Battery. Maybe somebody will remind me. We knew him as a forward observer, which is a job that my son fills. Maybe I'll tell you more about that. My son's active duty Air Force, filling the same job as Ingram on that rooftop. Well, Ingram tells what happened on that rooftop. He said they burnt their crypto and prepared to fight out. And he said, I don't know about everybody else. They didn't talk about it. I had the same conversation with myself in a different spot. He said he was ready to fight to the death. And that's the first point of this story that I want you to take away. The tenacity. There was no way they were coming down on that rooftop voluntarily. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was our ground. They were going to hold it no matter what. Well, as it turned out, we shot the artillery rounds that destroyed that Iraqi unit. It was so tight that the reports came in that the call for fire was inaudible. I haven't been able to verify that. Meaning that he got on the radio and all he did was click, click, click. SOS. I need help now. And those rounds came. Those rounds came so quickly and with such a vengeance. Now, now the whole story, the whole script flips, right? Ingram gets up there. He's shaking in his boots. He says, he's like, I was, I'm shaking just telling the story. 
I'm shaking telling you his story. Freaky stuff, right? But he wasn't coming down off the unit, there was, off the building. There was no way. There was no way he was going to quit. There was no way he was going to give in. Instead, he calls for fire, and the fire comes, man. <laughs> right down on top of those Iraqi armored personnel carriers. The whole story just got switched. Can you imagine now? You're on the rooftop, right? And you're up there shaking in your boots thinking you're about to take a bullet to the head. You get this call out on the radio. <laughs> I'm in big trouble. Click. Ba-boom. Ba-boom. It's not a bang. Just like that. The entire Iraqi unit. Gone. Done. What Ingram did was he called in fire on top of his own position. It's called Danger Close Fire. If you don't believe me, there's a very popular book. It became a movie. Maybe you heard Generation Kill. In the book, Generation Kill... There's photographs of the Humvees that were shot up by our own artillery. Nothing unusual about this story, really, by the way, I want to tell you. And I'll tell you why. Marines have been outnumbered, outgunned, fighting back against the odds for doggone near 250 years. Before we were even a country, it's happened many times. It'll happen again. But that day, the Iraqis learned a big lesson, and that is don't underestimate the Marine Corps. They thought they were going to attack the soft center of the coalition. They underestimated the willingness of the Marines to fight back. One fire team trapped on a rooftop, specifically. But there's a second point of this story, tenacity being one. Don't ever quit, no matter what. But there's a second point of this story, and this lays the foundation for what I want to talk to you about. This story happened 33 years ago, over three decades. And the modern version of the story, the internet version, fails to tell any of these important details. The internet story says that it was air power and Arab soldiers that reclaimed the city. And while that's technically true, it's a complete lie. Complete lie to say that. Now, just imagine for a second that you participated in this. We were Marines. That's what we got paid to do. But then you come to find out that the very cowards that left you stranded there, and maybe if they got no mention, you would understand. They'll just omit that from the story to save face. But no, they turn the whole thing around. They make them the heroes of the story. Uh, This is what you call politics. Political correctness, I suppose. You'd think after 33 years that maybe it would get straightened out. Consider the quiet damage done by this lie a second. As veterans, as Marines who were there, robbed of our rightful legacy to say that what we did didn't matter and that what the cowards did mattered more. Can you imagine? But it's not just about us. We volunteered to do that. We knew what we were getting into. What about the young men, maybe some listening today, I could only hope, Robbed of a proper perspective of our, of our military. Who the heck wants to join a military of losers? And nobody joins to want to become politically correct either. We join to crack skulls, to win wars, to fight. We join to defend our country, our, country, our constitution. And I'll say to you as veterans, we need to continue that fight more now than ever. Look at everything that's going on in our country, around the world. That story of Kafchi, which I tell in more detail in the book, I hope you check it out, Victory Over Chaos, 
You can get more details at projectchaos.org. But that story about Kafji and the Marines who fought there, the truth of what happened, are the foundation of Project Chaos. What I want to do with Project Chaos is to bring to you interviews with veterans, combat veterans and non-combat veterans, so that you can hear their stories, whether they're war stories or not. And you can understand how veterans think. Understand that the perspective of people who have served preparing themselves to do whatever it takes to defend this country. This isn't a, a history show. not about history. It's about legacy. What do I mean by that? These stories define who we are. And we need to share this perspective so it's not forgotten. We need, we need to uh, think differently. People need to think differently. And it's a good time for people to hear what we have to say because we do have a different perspective. This isn't just for veterans, but also for future generations. No wonder nobody wants to join the military today when it looks like we never win. No wonder people are losing trust in the military. I, I'm, I'll tell it like this. I was doing some research after I wrote the book. I was doing some research on famous Marine battles. Iwo Jima, Guadalcanal, Chosin Reservoir. I didn't look at all of them. I realized that although I knew the history of these battles, that there was a lot that I didn't know. And so I went back and I started looking. And I started looking at all the information that's available. I started looking at the photographs. I started reading the firsthand accounts. I started reading the official accounts. And you know what I found? Every single one of these, the way they're reported, is a lie. Every single one. I'm hoping to expose some of that here. It's amazing to me. The valiant fashion that Marines have fought around the world and the lies that have been told that make us look worse. It got me to thinking, how many stories out there that have never been told? I want to tell you something even more important about this. Under this guise of political correctness, this era that we live in, something else very sinister has happened. If you're a veteran, maybe you know what I'm talking about. We've been silenced. Veterans being labeled as radical, as broken. Let me tell you something. We all took the oath. We all took the same oath. And we have every right to have our voice heard. I want to fix it. I want to have every veteran that wants to have a voice heard, we're going to give them an opportunity here on this show. People need to hear the truth. People desperately need right now to hear how we've triumphed over these difficult circumstances so that we can do it again. It's not just my legacy. It's our legacy, the legacy of the core and of the country. And we're not giving up. We're not done. We're home. We're here. I'd like to officially welcome you to the opening debut of Project Chaos. Very exciting for me to be here. I'm Chris Kunkel, as I said, a veteran of the United States Marine Corps, author of the book, soon to be released, Victory Over Chaos, the story behind the Battle of Chaos, Battle of Chaos, Battle of Kafji. Book, not about history, about legacy. I'm hoping to have more interviews where we can get veterans here, share their stories, their perspective. I was just talking to a buddy of mine visiting from Kokomo. I hope he's listening right now, Mike, my brother Mike. And we were having a little conversation at my house. And I looked at him and said, what's the matter? I said, I just talked to two of our other brothers. This is something unrelated to the military. Said, exact same verbatim conversation. It needs to be heard telling the true stories behind our darkest conflicts, sharing the common sense perspective that veterans share, and to remind veterans active duty, veterans that have served previously, our families, 
the commitment and the duty that we have, that we acknowledge our victories properly and the honors that are rightfully ours so that our country can be proud. But it's more than that. There's a lesson here that we can share. War is chaos. That's the best way to describe it. Everything about Marine boot camp is trained to deal with that chaos. Chaos, what is it? It's utter disorder and confusion. Well, we see that all around us today, everywhere you go. You can't pump gas without getting little news clips telling you how the world's going to end before you get home. wonder why you're even putting gas in the tank. We see this chaos all over, all around us today. Every day, a new crisis, a new problem, all self-created. Well, the good news is that veterans are well-trained to deal with this chaos. And these stories will inspire you to face these challenges and understand that it can be done with confidence. We're going to have these stories that allow you to step into the shoes of people who have served in combat or people who have trained for combat so that we can provide a unique perspective on what it's like to endure and triumph over the utter chaos that war can bring. Yeah, we're going to have some fun, have some dark humor from time to time, and probably some inappropriate comments. If I had to guess, we'll just see as it comes. But rest assured that the stories that we share here will be absolutely epic. I assure you, Project Chaos is a radio show like no other. You'll hear war stories like you never heard them told before, and the truth told by real-life warriors. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll visit projectchaos.org. That's .org, projectchaos.org. Go visit projectchaos.org. I want to take a a little break here to bring on uh, my buddy Don Beischel. Don, um, are you there? I'm I'm here, my friend. There you are, my friend. Thanks for having me on on your show on Friday. If you don't know, Don is the host of the Conservative Voice, Fridays at noon. How are you, my friend? Doing well. Well, first of all, I want to say congratulations on the uh, kickoff of your show. Uh, I think that the listeners are going to be in for a treat of actually hearing some truth versus what the politicians like to throw out there at people. And, and you know, you, you made the comment, Chris, which I think is, is the reason what stirred me to call, uh, because, you know, myself, I'm heavily involved in politics, but I'm also heavily involved in the truth. And it pains me that our military veterans are used as pawns to, uh, uh, you know, justify some kind of a political agenda. And for them to hide the fact that the Saudis ran and then to give them credit for, for doing what, what you guys did and your fellow Marines did, just to me, it's, it's almost like they're trying to justify our, our existence in the Middle East and saying how brave the, the uh, Saudis were when it really was the uh, United States Marines. <clears throat> I appreciate you saying that a lot, Don. Thanks for calling in. That's going to be a, uh, a perfect segue where I'm heading here. And like I said, I found that it, many of these uh, campaigns, if not all of them, were um, misreported and not in favor of the Marine Corps. And even for this story in particular, I thought, okay, the political reason that they gave for, for telling the story was they said, look, uh, we're in the, you know, the, the, the Middle East, and if the, the other Arab nations learn you know, what the real role of the, the United States was, that they would back out of the coalition. And then for political reasons, we need to give credit to the Saudis. And I mean, all that sounds very plausible. I think to myself, with all the great minds that we have down at the Pentagon, they couldn't come up with a different excuse or at least say something about the Marines there. 
But uh, it's an interesting comment. Don, thanks for calling in. I appreciate the support. Uh, thanks for getting nice, me Chris. down here and, and having me on your show. I really appreciate it, Don. It's great to hear from you. I want to say uh, Don's comments there is a perfect segue. I want to say the timing for this now more than ever. I told that story of the Battle of Kafchi when I was down to the Marine Corps Union down in Charleston, South Carolina last year. And um, it was just a very impromptu situation. It was a banquet dinner. We got to talking in front of our unit. And one of our platoon commanders got up and told the story of Kafchi. And I wanted to add a couple of details, some of it I've shared with you. And I was able to do that at a reunion down in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, a good friend of mine for many years, who I call my brother, was there at the banquet dinner to hear that, hear that story. And uh, my brother Michael was kind enough to show for me down here today for this opening debut. And he's here sitting with me in the studio. I can't thank you enough, my brother. We'll talk more about it. But let me just tell you this story of what happened. We go down for this long road trip down to South Carolina. We have the banquet dinner. I wasn't expecting anything. I was expecting to go down and see my brothers and have the trip that we had. And we're on our way back. And my brother Michael says, now you need to write this down. You need to write this story down. I told him flat out, no, I've written three books I've published. I'm not doing them. I told him no. And it was obvious that he wasn't asking. Now, one lesson I've learned from my brother Michael is that if he tells you twice that you better listen, I can't tell you how many times I've been down this road. Of course, like everything else, he had to tell me three times. But guess what? The book is there. Well, one reason why I didn't write it down is because I thought to myself, who would care? Who would care? After all these years, who would care about the truth? Well, I guess we'll see. When I got home from that that visit, it was an incredible trip, by the way. Go, I was joined the Marine Corps. I was 17 years old. Both my parents were in the Marine Corps. I was born in Beaufort Hospital. Joined the Marine Corps, go back down there. Born there, go back at 17, graduate from boot camp. And then 35, it's 33 years, almost twice as long again, I go back again as a Marine veteran this time with my unit there, with my brothers. I mean, this is legendary in itself to be able to make a trip like that. And I was just taking it all in. I came home. I mean, this is just monumental for me. I would need a whole nother show just to tell you about it. But I'm digesting all this. And the words of my brother, you got to write that story down. I'm not writing anything down. And I got, something got stuck in my head that came out when we were down there. The question was, what was it that made Alpha Battery so special? We, didn't, we had a, a sergeant major. I've heard this spoken so many times at different reunions. We weren't special forces. None of us was anything special. I mean, for all intent and purposes, we were like the bad news bears strung together. But what was it that made that unit special? Sergeant Major, been in the Marine Corps 30 years. He tells the story. He's the best unit I've ever been with. That guy's been with six, eight, ten units, had deployed multiple times. Remembering this Alpha Battery, 88 to 92, what was it that made that unit so special? It was very simple. I realized that. I never really put it together. We didn't quit. We weren't anything special. We couldn't, we weren't all getting, you know, perfect physical fitness tests. I think we all did pretty good, but, you know, we weren't all, we did have a couple guys that ran the the Ironman in Hawaii, but that wasn't most of us. We just didn't quit. And we did a lot. We did a lot of little deployments and training. And you know what? That attitude, it brought us together. It bonded us together. 
in ways we never realized. We'd have beat the dog snot out of each other. We didn't care. But we were so tight, we didn't realize until we looked back on it. And by the way, I realized something else. It wasn't just the Marines of Alpha Battery 88 to 92. As I started to digest this, I realized that even the different generations of Alpha Battery, every time we come together, what do I mean by that? Well, you'll have Marines that maybe were just getting out when I was just getting in. They were like a little different era there and vice versa. Sergeant Major Jessup, he was coming to Alpha Battery as I was leaving. I think he was a master guns at that time. He's been deployed multiple times. I'm hoping to have him on the show. What, what was it that made the Marines of that time and the entire military so effective? The tenacity that we stood on our principles and we meant it. Why aren't we talking about that? We need to now more than ever. It's important that people hear this. I tell you, the, the character of the men that I served with, I say that with war, I get to see the worst of humanity. But I got to see the best of men, the circumstances that we endured, and how those men conducted themselves under the most inhospitable conditions the world has to offer. And like Don said, you know, when I look at what's going on with our veterans, with our military, with our entire country, I realize that this story needs to be told. Not just Kafchi. Kafchi is one little blip. As many stories from as many veterans as we can. Because like so many other things, the military, even our military history, has been politicized. How do you politicize history? It's caused this warped perception that's actually altered history. That makes us look worse. Why would we do that? You know, not many people remember this, uh, but I do. America's always been the story of the underdog, fighting back against the odds, overcoming enormous hurdles, faith that no matter what, the good always prevails, that with hard work and determination that anything is achievable. Writing that story of Kafchi, documenting the truth, it made me realize how important that story is for all of us, that we share these principles. Now, I want to tell you, there's more to it than just words. And we can say rah-rah all we want, but the fact of the matter is the rubber meets the road at some point. You heard the saying that freedom isn't free, and it's not. What is the price for that? And the answer is $1.3 million. 1.3 million veterans that have given their lives defending this country. It is an enormous number. You think about all those faces lined up. If you lined up all those soldiers... Men and women, Marines, sailors, airmen, soldiers. 1.3 million, it would span from New York City all the way to Richmond, Virginia. Think about that, standing there shoulder to shoulder. Their blank faces, their soulless eyes, wiped out in an instant. Why? Because they felt that it was enough that they would give everything they had to defend this country. Many of them buried in Arlington National Cemetery. 624 acres. You get down there, you'll look in any direction. Any direction you look, you'll see the crosses lined up perfectly. Every single one of those crosses representing a veteran that made out a blank check to the American people with a simple promise that we would defend the freedoms outlined in the Constitution up to and including our lives. That's what service to this country is about. We call it honor. 
It's not about political foreign policies, fighting foreign wars, or being the world's protection force. It's about something much bigger than that. United States military and our veterans are here to protect the Constitution and freedom-loving people from tyrants all around the world. And I want to tell you something about that, in case you're wondering, in case maybe the lies have altered your opinion on these things a little bit. We all can be deceived. But I want to promise you, with everything going on, all the bad news, all the doom and gloom, Marine Corps has been protecting people from tyrants for nearly 250 years. Marines have lost their lives in battles around the world. Successful every time, Iwo Jima, Guadalcanal, Chosin Reservoir, Wake Island, Saipan, Okinawa, Bella Woods, just to name a few, fighting for the cause of freedom in valiant fashion never seen in history, conquering evil dictators and restoring freedom to millions of people, creating hope for people around the world. It's a legacy that we need to preserve and one that we should always remember. I want to tell you something else, a little reminder here for every one of us who served. Every one of us who's been in the military shares something in common. Do you realize that? It's the one thing that bonds us. The Marines are very different from the Army, certainly very different from the Navy and the Air Force, and the Navy's different than the Air Force and so on. We have different missions, different structures, and different ways of doing things to accomplish our respective missions. But there is one thing very important that brings us all together. It's that one common thread. It's the oath. We, it's a, one thing that we all have in common. We all take the exact same oath. My question to you today is what does it mean when we get home? There's no manual for it. There's no instruction. There's no class as best I could tell. Maybe times have changed I don't, when I got out. I don't have anybody remember pulling me aside. Hey, I want to talk to you about that. oath. you remember that little oath you took? It was so important when you signed up. It was like the first thing you had to do. We brought everybody together and you raised your right hand and you swore or affirmed that you would, that you shall. But then suddenly you get out and there's nothing, not a word spoken. Well, you know what else there is? There's no manual. There's no, there's no guide. There's no instructions. You know what else there isn't? There's no expiration. There's no expiration date on the oath. So I guess it's self-policing, you might say. Your responsibility as a veteran. Well, I'm a veteran. I'll ask you, when was the last time you even read the Constitution? Do you even care? Many of us do, and we take it seriously. In fact, for me, I think it's important that we do all we can to preserve our Constitution and the rights that it protects. As a veteran, I take it seriously. I want it to be part of the message of this radio show. Why? Why is it so important to me? Because it's the legacy of the Marine Corps. I told you, I realize it's not just Alpha Battery. The Marines of that time in general, and others, and also the other branches. It was a great time in our military history. I was talking to my son about it. I said, you know, it was an incredible time to serve in the military. It really was. And this went on for a period of years. I was lucky to have have experienced that. But as Marines, we're proud of our history, and we take pride in the legacy that we leave, both for us and for our country that we serve. For over 240 years now, Marines have fought vicious battles all over the world in all kinds of crazy places, 
in some of the, the, the most difficult living conditions you can imagine, many times against overwhelming odds, usually the first to go and often the last to leave. You know, there's a saying, they say everywhere you go, the streets are guarded by United States Marines. If you want to feel what that looks like, you can do it down in Washington, D.C., 8th and I. It's an incredible sight to be told. What's it like to think like a Marine? That's what I want to ask you. That's what I'm hoping to share on this show. How does the mind of a warfighter think? The warrior in the garden. What makes us different? It's a warfighter's perspective, not just Marines. But I'm a Marine, so I see through that lens. That's the lens that I see it through. That's the lens I'm going to tell it through. The purpose of Project Chaos is to fix the lies told over the last 30 years and to build up our veteran community. Lies about what we did and what we didn't do. Why are these lies so damaging? Because they rob us of our legacy and it robs future generations of important knowledge. Telling the truth about these events of the past and properly acknowledging our victories as we rightfully deserve. Not just the battles won, but the real circumstances We can change the perspective of veterans as broken and restore our hard-earned status as the warriors that we are. We need to remember that perseverance and the ability to adapt are something that we do well, and we need to keep doing it. Over the, the doors of the Recruit Welcoming Center at Paris Island, it's kind of funny. To, I don't know in, in San Diego Recruit Depot if they have this. I don't believe they do. I think it's unique to Paris Island. It's funny, the, the welcoming center in Paris Island, it's beautiful. It's all shiny and chrome and all glistening. It's about the only clean thing you'll find in Paris Island. Everything else is dirty and messy. But over the doors to the recruit welcoming center in big brass letters, there's a saying. It says, through these portholes, past prospects for America's finest fighting force. United States Marines. It's a legacy that we're expected to live up to before and after active duty. Not just all Marines, but all branches of service. We should hold ourselves to a higher standard. And our service reflects that. We should want to do it. Stay tuned. I promise you won't be disappointed. There's so much more to this story. If you're enjoying Project Chaos, you're enjoying the radio show, I hope that you'll visit Project chaos.org, please sign up for my email list. Part of the community that we want to develop here, I'll get you the updates when the book is available, when future shows released. Uh, We'll post this as a podcast as well, and we'll put that out through the email list. So make sure you go there, projectchaos.org, I appreciate your support, and I appreciate your visits to the website. I want to take a minute to tell you a little story that I'm proud of, and that's the story of my son. Three years ago, my son was leaving for Air Force boot camp, and uh, we wanted to mark the occasion with something momentous. He's a physical, physical young man. I'm very proud of him. He's in what's called TAC-P in the Air Force, the only ground combat unit in the Air Force. He has Ingram's job. He could be on that rooftop someday. Does it scare me? Not really, because I know him, and I know he knows how to shoot because I taught him. I also know that he graduated boot camp. He graduated two schools, probably the most difficult schools that the Air Force has to offer, and all three levels, boot camp, two schools, he was the top grad. Anyway, when he was leaving, we had done some cool things when he was younger, and we wanted to mark the occasion. And so we decided that we were going to hike from our house down in Fort Washington 
We were going to hike down to Valley Forge Park, down to Washington's headquarters, 15-mile hike down there. Epic indeed. Well, I got, I got myself ready. I used to love humping in the Marine Corps of the Force marches. I did. My son laughed when I told him that. We got ready, and we moved fast. A little over four hours, we knocked it out. We only took one break. I wouldn't wait for him. He had to stop to relieve himself. I said, I'm not stopping. <laughs> Made him catch up, military style. Well, I'm a little older now. By the time we got to the entrance to the park, just about two miles out from Washington's headquarters, by the time we got there, my feet hurt so bad. <laughs> I felt like I was walking on broken glass. I thought I, felt like I broke both my ankles. So we get to the entrance of the park. And there's two paths we can take to get to Washington's headquarters. Well, of course, I said, take the shortcut. We're going to go, we're going to take the short path through the woods. Well, that turned out to be a mistake. Not really. First leg of the journey, we're walking on railroad tracks on the ballast. And with every turn, oh, my goodness, just breaking my ankles. I was dying. And then we had this snow-covered path. I know some of you are laughing. It's fine. What can I tell you? I'm getting older. My feet hurt. We're grinding through. Just about a mile out, almost done. And we're in the middle of the woods there in Valley Forge Park. And we come up over this ridge. And just then we can see it. Big headstones. These are the graves of the revolutionary soldiers that died there. And it just, it was striking to us. We knew exactly what we had just walked up on. And I don't know about my son, we didn't speak about it, but Thought to myself, they marched down here from Quakertown. That's another 15 miles out. We had state-of-the-art shoes on. My feet were killing me. These guys were wearing rags. But that none of that had anything to do with anything. None of it even really mattered. Here's what mattered, that they were still there. Those farm boys, Continental Marines, the early Marines, they marched down there. They didn't think they were going to lose they weren't planning on staying. Nobody told them. Nobody told them you can't beat the British. Nobody told them you're outgunned, outman, you can't win. They didn't believe it. They marched down there for one purpose, to win. They didn't give up. They never quit. Let that be a reminder, the sacrifices that veterans make. It's important that we remember all this. It was an incredible journey, that march to Valley Forge. We put up a little video of it in a proud moment for my son, I'm glad we could use that to mark his great military service. I'm so proud. He's his jump wings. He's far exceeded everything I did, and I'm so proud to say that. I said when I got started, I was hoping to have a little time to tell you the story of coming down here to WWDB. And even though it doesn't have anything to directly to do with ProjectChaos.org, since we do have a few minutes, I'd like to tell you the story. We didn't even take a break, for God's sake. We may as well keep going. I was 10 years old. This is true. You know, other kids were playing with what? G.I. Joe, Atari. We couldn't afford any of that stuff. It didn't matter. I didn't want it anyway. I was either outside or getting in trouble or listening to talk radio. True story. My older brother, my older brother, Ted, he would listen to WWDB. This is back in the 70s. Living down in West Conshohocken. Three boys living with my mother, also a Marine veteran. Listening to WWDB. What was it that attracted me, 10 years old, all that time, listening to the station, now to be here? It's amazing. This is the, this is the, the 
way that the authority that those men spoke with, the broadcasters, Dr. Jim Corey, he was a Marine veteran, Bernie McCain, Irv Homer. Here's another funny little tie. When I was talking to my brother the other night, he said, and I told him I was coming down here for the show. I told him what I was going to talk about. He said, you know, Chris, I remember when you came home and you said to me, don't believe everything that you see. Don't believe everything you hear. And little did I know. And do you know, I forgot about it until he mentioned it. After I got discharged from the Marine Corps, uh, I was listening to WWDB, and I was very unhappy with what was being reported about the war. And I actually turned, called in to speak with uh, Irv Homer. No, no, it was Bernie McCain. It was an evening. I couldn't wait to hang up so I could at least catch a little, a little glimpse of what I sounded like on the radio. Awful. Not really. I joined the Marine Corps at 17 years old. Most Marines can speak up. Most Marines, you see, they have enough confidence. They'll get in front of people. They can speak up. I wasn't thinking about radio at 17, that's for sure. I got out of the Marine Corps at age 21, back listening to talk radio and all the big names. But I also listened to something else. I was driving a lot, and I got these these books on tape, but they weren't called that. Back then, they were called programs, and these were like personal development programs. And people laugh. People laugh at me now. They laughed at me then, but I love that stuff. I would listen to it for hours. One of the big names that I listened to was a guy named Earl Nightingale. And maybe it was just the right timing because after I got out of the Marine Corps, I didn't want anything to do with the Marine Corps. I just wanted to get on with my life. I didn't think about it. I didn't really talk about it. I didn't wear anything. I didn't have the bumper stickers, nothing. Little did I know that the Marines didn't leave me. Earl Nightingale was the uh, author of the first spoken word platinum album uh it's an incredible journey what he had done there to motivate people i found out uh later on that earl nightingale was also a marine joined at age 17 as well under similar circumstances of myself had been at pearl harbor and what are the chances had a similar voice as mine what are the chances the ironies fast forward 12 years ago, I did some stand-up comedy, had a lot of fun with that. Wasn't really my thing because I just didn't feel that it had enough meaning. And then about 10 years ago, I got involved in, in Toastmasters, learning how to do public speaking. Much of that is what led to my arrival here. My buddy Stan Casaccio, who has the Don't Back Down show on Wednesdays, he's seen me speak at different events. My buddy Don, who curled in earlier, he's got the Friday show, the, um, the conservative voice. He's seen me speak. Ten years ago, I started laying the foundation for that. Six years ago, I started a podcast. 1,600 episodes. I published three books with number four coming soon. All that, little did I know, was preparing me for this radio show, a dream since I was 10 years old, here on the very same station that I listened to as a kid. And when my friend Don called on my birthday to tell me this, that this time slot was open, I couldn't say no. Now to be here with my brother Michael, this is amazing. Who told me to write the book. I wrote the book. That's what led to us being here. And now it's his birthday. Happy birthday, my brother. What a sign. What a sign to bring this together. We're going to run out of time here. I want to uh, say a couple of thank yous before I let you go. Um, before I get into that, um, projectchaos.org. I hope that you'll share it with everybody that you can. Go there. Uh, you'll get the information about the book. Sign up for my email list. I really appreciate all the support. I uh, hope that plenty of people will buy the book once it becomes available. 
And I hope that we'll have people supporting this show, get people tuning back in week after week. It's been a lot coming here. And I, I want to mention just a couple of names that participated. It's just an amazing story. It's been the past couple of weeks of getting ready for this, past couple of months really, writing the book, the visit, coming back, putting all that together, and then sitting here doing this, this show is just amazing. I, need, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, Sam from Beasley, Don for arranging this, my buddy Stan who brought me down here in the first place. been a couple of years ago now since my first uh, guest spot. And it's really been an amazing story. Well, my brother Michael out in Maple Glen, uh, he was on the focus group uh, for, the, for the book cover. And we had a really cool photo, my favorite photo from my time deployed. And of course, that's what I wanted on the book cover. And my brother Michael, he was a Vietnam veteran, Army veteran. And he, was, he, was, he said, nobody's going to know what that is. It's ridiculous. He knows how to say it like it is. And most people would get upset. Right, we put a lot into that cover. Had the whole design done. He's like, eh, that's not going to cut it. But this is what we expect. Well, now the cover is much better. It's going to go through another iteration. We're not done, but we're well on our way. And I thank you for that support. My daughter, who came up with the name of the book, believe it or not, happy to say that. My brother Dave, out in Iowa. Dave, uh, I served with an alpha batter. He was one of the few that I asked to be on the small group of people that would read the rough draft of the book, and Dave did that. And thank you for that, Dave, and I appreciate the encouragement. My son, who's all the way out on the West Coast, he may be listening online right now. I don't know. He said he was going to try. He's out in Oregon, Joint Base Lewis McCord. I'm surprised I got that right. Having a grand old time out there. It's much very interesting how his time and service is very different than mine, but I'm very happy for him all the same. My son was also part of the group that read the initial manuscript, and he was the only one that had any criticism on that as well. What did he say? He said, Dad, I know there's other stories you've told me, and they're not in this book. You need to make it longer. <laughs> so I did. I went back and I made it longer. We added about 6,000 words. Or I guess I was counting. My brother Michael, here with me today, told me to write this book. And that started the whole first step. Today is birthday. This amazing journey. I can't thank you enough. It's spark. And your encouragement means so much to me. And then uh, he chauffeured me down here today on his birthday. How cool is that? And I could go on and on about this, but you have no idea what that did for me in terms of making sure I got here on this snowy day, making sure that I was relaxed, and making sure that I was ready to go. I hope it gives a little bit back to you my, as well, my brother. Uh, my brother's an alpha battery. I hate every one of you, and I can't wait to have every one of you on this radio show that I can tell you exactly how much I hate you. Not really. A couple of the guys were talking about having a group of guys from Alphabet. I don't know if that's going to be a good idea. My father, who told me joining the Marine Corps was the stupidest thing he ever heard of, I joined the next day. Good thing my father taught me to shoot. My mother, Marine Staff Sergeant Joyce Conan, always encouraged me to pursue my dreams and loved the Marine Corps. She was about as vicious as they come. I kid you not. Thank you, Mom. Thank you for all the encouragement. I hope you'll come back next week if you're a veteran or currently serving in the military. If you have an interest in war stories or history, or if you simply appreciate compelling and well-told narratives, Project Chaos is something that you might enjoy listening to. We'll be here every week, every Monday, 4 o'clock, 1,600 hours. For those of you that know military time, we'll be back here with a new show. Next week, I've got an incredible interview lined up with my buddy Kevin Ryan, my brother Big KT from Colorado, and we're going to have him here on the show 
And he's, he was very instrumental in setting up our first Alpha Battery reunion 30 years ago. It's a chapter in the book. I didn't have time to tell you about that today. Uh, but it's an incredible story in itself, and he was an instrumental instrumental part of that. And I'm very thankful. I'm excited to have him on to tell his story as well. Lots to talk about Marine Corps history, the veteran perspective, how veterans think. We're going to get into all that. Um, one last thing before I let you go. Thank you so much, STA Engineering from Pennsburg, land surveyors and engineers. If you need uh, design for your latest project, approvals, property surveys, STA Engineering has decades of practical experience solving complicated infrastructure and regulatory issues for your project. Land surveying, it's an ancient art, if you don't know. Many of the founding fathers did it. I got to do it for a little while working with my brother, Michael. Maybe we'll tell some of those stories. We had surveyors with our artillery battery, and it's neat to have that tie in today. But, of course, with everything being computerized, it's gone very much high tech. But experience still counts, and that's where STA Engineering stands out. Many, many years of successful, long-ranging, long-lasting projects that they've designed and been involved with the construction of. I'm so appreciative of the support, and uh, we need the support of others, too. Make sure you go to projectchaos.org. We'll be coming back next week. That's a wrap for today. I hope that you enjoyed the show. I hope you'll come back. I hope that you'll tell your friends, family, any veterans that you have. best way to do that is to go to projectchaos.org. Org, O-R-G. We'll be looking forward to having you back next week. We'll have the big interview teed up, hopefully an update on the book, and uh, lots of exciting stuff. ProjectChaos.org. Can't wait to see you there next week, 1,600 hours. <laughs>